Omaha's caseworkers, and these are, these are the people in our city that serve uh, kids that are in the foster care system. And, and these are the, the, the workers, really, that remove kids from homes when the home is unsafe. And so as you can imagine, they have a very hard job, and it's also a pretty uh, thankless job. And so I just want to tell you, so I'm just so proud of our team and our volunteers um, for putting on and just making a very, very special morning um, for the social workers, that, uh, the caseworkers that, that really serve our city. And so I just wanted to read this note to you. This is from the director over at Project Harmony. She said this. She said, I, I just want to send you a huge thank you to all of Brookside. Uh, my staff are still talking about how awesome the breakfast event was. To hear the recognition and to see others connected to similar mission and to really feel honored was something that they will never forget. I know that you put much time, thought, and resources into that morning, and words cannot express how grateful I am for you. And then she says, thank you so much. I'm so excited for the progression of the Care Center and that all that Brookside has planned for our community. So church, just wanted to say, uh, way to go, you know? Um, When you serve the city, whether it's down the hall holding a baby or upstairs leading a small group of kids or putting on a breakfast like that, or being intentional with a neighbor or a colleague, um, what you're doing is you're exposing people to the love of God. And uh, when we get notes like that, it's just an opportunity for us to say, well done, church. Um, That's what we want to be about. We want to live for the city, and we want to be known for making God's name great in that way. So so yeah, I just want to say well done on that. Well, as Emma mentioned, uh, we're starting a new series next weekend. We're going to get back into the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to be in the second half of the book of Acts, and I'm so excited, especially for this first message, because so much of what we're going to talk about next week is really at the core of what God calls us to, what God lovingly, I think, just invites us into. I think it's the greatest invitation that you and I could possibly have. And so we're going to dive into that next weekend. So I would encourage you, come expectantly to church and uh, invite a friend, bring them with you as we jump back into this new, new series. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be fun to, to begin that. And before we dive in this morning, I'd love for us just to pray together and just to ask God to, to speak to us again in this place. So yeah, would you, would you pray with me? And as we pray, let's just kind of go in with this, uh, this mindset that we're opening the door as wide as we possibly can, Right? for God to come in and to do a significant work in us. And so would you pray with me with that kind of a mindset, even as Rob said, kind of with this palms up mindset this morning. Maybe even do that on your lap again and just say, God, palms up this morning. I want to receive from you. So yeah, pray with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you meet us in this place, Lord. Um, You are so good to us. And Father, this morning we just come to you and we just simply say, Lord, would you speak to us? God, we are desperate for you. Jesus, we want to leave this place more in love with you, more enthralled by you. And so, Jesus, we just proclaim even right now, you are our king, you are our master, you are our friend, you know us. And so, Father, we just say, God, would you speak? And Father, I pray that when you nudge us, when you convict us, maybe even this morning, I pray that you would then give us the wisdom and the discernment and the ability to obey you. That's our longing. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're in our final part of our series that's called, I Want to Believe, But. I want to believe, but I've got some, I've got some hang-ups. I, I want to believe, but I've got some questions. And in this series, what we've been doing is we've been acknowledging that it's okay in church for this to be a place. I think we really need to model this for our students in particular. It's okay for us to go to God with the things that that maybe trip us up a little bit with the questions that we have, with the things that we're a little bit uncertain about. 
Because when we do that, when we get a, an intelligent and when we get an informed answer to the questions or the hangups that maybe we have, what that does is this. It pushes our faith in a good way. It doesn't hurt it. It helps it. It grows it. And so we want to do that. That's what we want to be about each and every week. We want to be growing up our, our faith in Christ. And so we're saying we're, we're going to welcome the hardest questions. And so in week one of this series, we looked at this question here. We said, I want to believe, but isn't God just an angry God? I mean, when God looks at me, isn't his overarching emotion that of disappointment? Isn't God just fed up with me? So we looked at that. So important to understand the response to that one. And then we said this in week two, I, I want to believe, but can I trust the Bible? I mean, can I truly base my life around the teachings of this book? Is that a wise thing to do? Can I do this? Can I trust that? You, you've got to land the plane on that. It's such an important question. Week three, then we asked this question. I want to believe, but how can a good God allow so much suffering? That's a leading question of all questions. So we, we, we dove into that. We answered that. And then we looked at this question last weekend. I want to believe... But is Jesus the only way? Again, that's another question that you just, you have to come to an answer to. You know, today's question for me really hits home. Because the question that we're going to ask today is one that someone very close to me, someone very, uh, very important to me in my life said to me years ago. He said this to me. They said, you know what? Christians, they're just hypocrites. And I was Christian at the time. I was like, oh, thanks, you know. But you know what? That was an honest answer from him. And for years upon years upon years, that's been his hang-up. And he might want to believe, and it's not so much that Jesus would, is the problem even. It's the people that are following him that are tripping him up. And you know what that does for me? That pushes me. And that challenges me. It challenges my life. Today we're answering this question, and I want to believe, but aren't all Christians just hypocrites. And you might even take offense to that question just a little bit, but I'll just be honest with you. This is a real hang-up for people. The Barna, Barna Group did an extensive research project in which they, they asked non-Christians why they rejected Christianity. And 85% of those that they asked that question to listed hypocrisy somewhere in their top three answers. And for some of you this morning, you would say, that's my roadblock. You would say, well, you know what, I've, I've, done my, I've done my homework on who Jesus is. I mean, I can even enter into hard subjects like suffering. I understand the character of God. I'm okay, I get that. Or you would say, you know what, I've studied. I, I understand the evidence that makes this book seem to be very true. It's a valid book. I, I would want to base my life around the teachings of the scriptures. But you would say, it's not so much Jesus, it's not the Bible that's the problem for you. You would say, it's the people that are following him. They're your roadblock. And so this morning, we're going to dive into this question. Okay, what about hypocrisy? What do we do with that? I mean, let's be honest. That word has a sting to it, doesn't it? I mean, nobody in this room, you just don't want to be called a hypocrite. Hey, you're a hypocrite. I mean, that, that hurts. It hurts to hear even. And then think about it this way. Hypocrisy, it's not just a roadblock for the non-Christian. For many of you, as followers of Jesus Christ this morning, you would say this. You've had a hard time. You've been discouraged or you've been disillusioned because you've been walking with Jesus and you've been looking to your left and looking to your right and, and you've just gone, hey, there are people in my life that they seem to be saying the same things that I'm doing. They're singing the same songs. They're going to the same place. 
But when I see their life outside of certain places, it looks completely different. And it's discouraging. It's disillusioning to you. And it's wrong. It's wrong. And today we're going to look at these two questions then. What did Jesus have to say about hypocrisy? We're going to answer that one. And then we're going to look at this question. This is so important. How do you and I then personally respond to the issue of hypocrisy? We're going to go to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to ask this question. Okay, how do I then respond? Once I'm informed about how Jesus looks at it, what do I do? How does this topic impact me so that my life isn't a roadblock to anyone if I'm a follower of Christ? So first, let's define hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, the definition in the dictionary, it simply says this. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Now, if we go back even further, the word hypocrisy is the transliterated Greek word that comes straight directly from the Bible and from Greek culture. And it simply means this. It means to, to put on a mask or you could say a costume or to play act, like a play actor. And so if you were in a dramatic production in Greek culture, and you were to put on a costume, or you were put to put on a mask in that production, you would have been called a hypocrite. And then it became used by religious people. They say, hey, you're wearing a mask. You're wearing a mask. You're not behaving the way that lines up with your beliefs. A hypocrite is someone who poses. A hypocrite is someone who says, I'm going to live and ascribe to a set of beliefs, but the truth be told, they live a completely different way. And so first this morning, what did Jesus say about hypocrisy? Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Turn there with me if you've got a Bible. It says this. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds, and he said to his disciples, he said, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Now, what that is saying is that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees they have the authority, they have a position of, of teaching, and they're communicating the things, the ways of God that God spoke to Moses, and they're communicating it to them. It's a good thing. It says you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. Their words are good. They'll be helpful to your life. They'll breathe life into you. But then it says this, so you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but, big but, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. It's hypocrisy. And then it says this, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on, the, on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They want people to see their lives. Their motivation is not to honor God. Their motivation is to look good. And so they act, and they're hypocrites. You could say it this way, there's a huge chasm between what they say and the life that they live. A huge chasm. They're actors. And you keep going in this chapter, chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, and I'll just be honest with you, just studying hypocrisy, you, you cannot not go to these verses. I, I felt like as a teacher this morning, I just had to share the things that Jesus says because it's so sobering. You look at verses 13 through 39, really the meat of chapter 23, and even the title. The title says, the seven woes on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You cannot read this section of scripture without being, I think, shocked at the disdain that Jesus Christ has for people who live by a double standard. You can't, be, you can't just read it and go, oh, that's no big deal. You read this and you go, wow, 
People who live a double life, this is so serious for the church. Here are a couple things that Jesus said then, verse 15. He says, woe to you. Or you could think of it this way. In, in other words, he's, he's saying to them, woe to you, or trouble to you, or sorrow to you. Like, this is a huge deal. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them, get this, twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's not a warm fuzzy, is it? Verse 23. Woe to you, again, trouble for you. Watch out. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And then it says this, verse 25. It says, you, yeah, 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Get that imagery? Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but on the inside, you are full of greed and you are full of self-indulgence. See what Jesus is doing? He's so intentionally, and he's so graphic about this. He's saying, I don't want you to be a certain person at school that you aren't here. I don't want you to be a certain person in your neighborhood that you aren't here or somewhere else. I don't want you to be anyone in another place that you aren't when you're connected to me. Oh, this is, uh, pretend for a second, I love the imagery Jesus gives us. Pretend for a second this is your cup. I don't know about you, but in the morning I like to have coffee in a cup like this, right? I actually like to have flavored creamer with just a touch of coffee, you know? <laughs> Get it about this color. But so when I get my coffee in the morning, oftentimes what I'll do, though, I'll go through the day, and at the end of the day, sometimes, I'll leave this cup on my desk, and when I come back the next day, I'll forget to wash it before I leave. I'll come back the next day, and it'll have like this kind of dry residue of coffee at the bottom of it. Now, imagine for a second that I go, though, to the kitchen here at the church, and, and I get the dish rag, and I get it nice and hot, get the water hot, and all soaped up, and, and I start cleaning the cup, and I'm, I'm cleaning it, and if you walked into the kitchen, you might even see it sparkle. You'd say, wow, man, I see a lot. That, that's a clean cup, but imagine I don't touch the inside of the cup, and I just go over to the coffee, and I just I pour a new cup, and I fill it up right on yesterday's residue, and imagine that I do that not just for one day, but imagine I do that for two days, three days, a week, a month, to the point where I'm chewing my coffee, Right? Now, you would say, that's disgusting. But you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, when you clean the outside of the cup, when you look religious, but on the inside you neglect the important things of who you are at the core of who you are, your heart, Jesus says, that's disgusting. I can't have it in the church. It's horrible, he's saying. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been guilty of hypocrisy? Now, what's interesting is this, is that people, whether you're a Christian or not, you likely live by a moral standard. And you can tell if you have a moral standard because if someone has ever upset you, they upset you because of something they did. If they've ever upset you because of something they did, it shows that you have a moral standard. If they lied to you and you don't think that that was right, then you can't lie in your moral standards. Does that make sense? Christians, we get our moral standard from the Scriptures, and so if somebody wrongs you and, and you don't like that, 
It points out, okay, you've got a standard by which you live by. If your moral standard says this, that you're supposed to love people and you don't. Or you just kind of casually neglect the screaming needs of other people. You know what that makes you? That makes you a hypocrite by your moral standard. If you've ever not told the truth, and being a truth teller comes underneath your moral standard. Again, a Christian would get theirs from the scriptures. Other people get their moral standards from other places. But if you believe that telling the truth is important and somebody lies to you and that bothers you, but if you've ever told a lie, you too are a hypocrite. If you believe that part of kind of your moral code that you live by is that you should be faithful to your spouse, but if you've ever looked lustfully at someone other than your spouse, you too are a hypocrite. I mean, think about that, by your own standards. You know, in studying for this passage and this, this message, I was so excited about this because we put our team together and, and we just, we asked the question. We just put all the heads in the room and we said, we said, why, I want to believe, but why all the hypocrisy? Why hypocrisy even in the church? And so we, we looked and we studied, we studied the scriptures, we looked at the original languages, we, we even pulled uh, Pastor Steve, our founding pastor's old sermons, and we, I mean, we searched, we searched, and we kept, we said, man, we got to answer this question for the church. And after a whole lot of research, do you know what we came up with? Our conclusion was the number one reason why there's hypocrisy in the church. You ready? After all of the study, it's because there are people in the church. Now think about it. That's not an excuse, is it? That's not an excuse for you, and it's not an excuse for me. And it doesn't justify hypocrisy. What it does is this. It highlights this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you live under this huge challenge, I believe, this calling, this this aspiration that God gives you as you walk with him to look at the areas of your life where you fall short and to say, you know what, I will not ignore that. I will do business with God. God, if you nudge me on that, I mean, we just sang a song five minutes ago that said, God, I worship you always. And as I sang it, I thought, help me to do that, right? When you are a Christian, basically what you're saying is this, God, help me in the times when I fall short. Because, Lord, I don't want to be good with just acting. And if you're just acting, know this, you're tarnishing not only your name, You're tarnishing Brookside's name, but more importantly than that, you're tarnishing the name of your God. And so we have to take this issue seriously. We have to go back to that question and say, okay, God, how am I living? And in the areas of my life that don't match up with the standard that I have, am I progressing to the point where I'm becoming more like you so that when other people see me, they see you? Have you ever been caught acting in a certain way or maybe doing something with your life that didn't really match up to the standards that you were ascribing to live by. If you have, you know how it feels. It feels, it feels horrible. It's so humbling because it's hypocrisy. A few months ago on a Thursday evening, I had just gotten home and we rushed to eat dinner really quickly and we were kind of frantically getting the kitchen cleaned up because our small group, our young married couple, small group was coming over. And, and uh, so in the midst of the hurry and honestly the challenge of that day, and Christine and I got into a little tiff. Now that's just a nice word for a, a fight, Christian fight maybe even, I don't know. 
So we weren't saying a whole lot, but you know, you know what I'm talking about? You could cut the tension with a knife. And at one point, I don't remember even what it was about even, she said something to me and I just, I snapped back in a loving, loud voice and I said, I'm just trying to get the kitchen picked up. Yelled it. Well, as soon as I said this, we heard this voice of one of the guys in our small group and he said, hey, stop yelling in there. We had the front door open so that the group could just kind of come in and unbeknownst to us, Mark had just done just that. And so I stood there as he came around, then the wall, you know, blocks off the entryway. And, and I stood there in shock and humiliation. He came around the corner in the kitchen. And I said, I looked at him, I said, this is awkward. And he said, what? And I said, the yelling. And then he said, oh, I thought it was just the kids. I was just kidding. I was like, no need to kid, Mark. No need to kid, man. So we sat down with the group, (laughs) and Christine and I, we have had no time to iron this out, right? So we sat down with our small group, young married couples, looking to us to be such good examples. And and I said, said, how's everybody doing tonight? And uh, I said, might as well just get this on the table right now. Mark caught me and Christina fighting before all of you got here. It was so humbling. The next week, everybody was on time. They actually got there early. They, yeah, they, they you know, came in real quietly, you know. You just got to give them something to watch, I guess. I don't know. You know what, church? I'm a hypocrite because I often don't live up to the moral standard that I ascribe to. I'm a hypocrite because I know, I know the scriptures say, be slow to anger and abounding in love. And you know what I can be? I can be quick to anger and slow to love. I'm a hypocrite because I know that this book says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. No higher calling. And I don't always model that. We've all done things that we fall short of the moral standard that we ascribe to. But I hope that you hear this morning, when you do, let that be a reminder to you. Let it be an exclamation point that shows up in your life where you just say, and because of that, I will run to Jesus Christ. I will run to him. And I just want to say this to you. If you've been hung up in your past and you've said, I've wanted to believe, but I can't even see Jesus because of all the hypocrisy of other people, those that call them followers of Christ, I just want to say to you, I want to apologize to you on behalf of us. Because what you don't want to do, this would be such a tragedy, is if you did not see Jesus Christ for who he is and what he can mean in your life, and you only saw his followers in the blunders that we make. Martin Luther, a seminal figure in in the Protestant Reformation, he made this famous statement in What he was doing was he was describing this tension, really, that the Christian lives in. And so he said this. He coined this Latin phrase. It it, it, it sounds something like this. Simuel justus et peccator. And what it means is very simply this. It means simultaneously just or righteous and sinner. And what Luther was doing was he was pointing out this tension that the Christian lives in. That in the sight of God, that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I am seen just and righteous. Because I'm saying, I don't want to be accountable for my standard, 
I don't want to be accountable for the Bible's standard. I want to be accountable only in the sight of Jesus Christ on me. I want to be justified not by me, but by Christ. And so at the same time that I'm seen by God, if you're a Christian, you're seen by God as righteous and and justified, but at the same time, you're also a sinner. Like you struggle. You come up against things that you have a hard time. You come up with an addiction that you're trying to break. You come up with things in your life that you slip back into. And so the Christian is simultaneously, you're seen if you, your faith is in Christ. And really what Luther was getting at was the heart of the gospel. And he was saying at the heart of the gospel, one day I'm going to stand, I'll be judged one day and my, by either my righteousness or by the righteousness of Christ. And I want to be just and righteous in the eyes of Jesus Christ because of him in the eyes of God. But at the same time, from a different perspective, I'm just and righteous But from this other perspective, I'm a sinner. And that's a tension, isn't it? And so when we're aware, though, of our hypocrisy, it should cause us to do this. When we're aware that at the same time, I'm I'm seen by God as this way, but I live in this world and I struggle. That should drive us. It It should push us. God, help me be more like you. And so our second question today is so important. This is a big one. The second question is this, it's how do I personally respond to the issue of hypocrisy? How do I personally get engaged with that? And so look with me, yeah, Luke 18, it says this, this is so important. It says, this is Jesus talking, he says, to some of the people who were confident of their own righteousness, and they looked down on everyone else. So that's the setting. You got people that are confident, this is who I am. I'm self-reliant, and when I look at other people, I feel like I'm better. Have you ever done that before? I have. This is what Jesus said to them. And I just want to take a time out here, though, and first say this. I'm convinced that the best place to start this morning is not to camp on the hypocrisy of other people, but it's for you and I to look in the mirror and to get a good look of ourselves. I mean, I have to dream of this for myself and for our church I mean, think about this. Just imagine a group of people that we would say week after week, God, help me win the day today. God, help me to look today at not just the outside of the cup, but God, I give my attention to what's on the inside of the cup. God, I mean, just imagine what an unbelieving world would see in the church if we did that. It'd be huge. But to those who were just pointing the finger, Jesus said this. He says, Jesus told this parable, two men, one up, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So this guy, the Pharisee, he's known as the guy that's going to toe the line. He looks good. He's got the row. He's looking looking sharp. Everything's fitting the part. And then this tax collector, though, in their culture, would have been known as the sinner. That's the pagan. That's the one that's far from God. And this is what happened then. It says that the Pharisee stood by himself so that everybody could see him, and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am. And he's just, notice where, where's the attention of this, this guy? Thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What do I do? I, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Notice where the attention is. It is directly on himself. He is self-dependent. And I think this morning when we studied 
hypocrisy, we have to say, am I Christ dependent? So then it says this. It says, but the tax collector, the other guy, he stood off at a distance. And, and he would not even look up to heaven. I mean, I mean, you gotta see humility in this passage. But what did he do? He beat his breast, meaning this, he was so disgusted with his own sin, his own sin, that physically, oh, I can't believe it. You know, he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me. God, that's where his attention is. God, would you have mercy on me? God, I'm a sinner. God, I repent. God, I'm looking at the inside of the cup and I can't believe I would think the things that I'm thinking. And I can't believe I said what I said. And I could spend a whole lot of time looking at the world around me and say, talking about the hypocrisy of others, but God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. So challenging. And then I love this. In verse 14, it says this. Jesus concludes, basically, and he says, I tell you the truth, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, they are the ones who will be exalted. You might be here this morning, and you'd say this, I'm a Christian. You would say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ but even as I've been talking about living a double standard, you're thinking of an area maybe God's convicting you. He's nudging you even right now where you'd say, I don't do that right. I cut a corner there. I'm immoral there. I said this. I have a tendency to do that. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Let's be a church that God, by your grace, when you nudge us, we respond. That we look to you and we say, okay, God, Thank you for showing me that because uh, the unbelieving world is watching the church. They are. And so God, would you help us to be the kind of people that not by our own goodness, not by our own effort, but God, by your grace, we take our lives so seriously. The apostle Peter, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this, he said, dear friends, I urge you, like he was passionate, like he was fired up, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles to abstain from sexual desires which wage war against your soul. Again, he's talking about what Luther was talking about. Like you're simultaneously, you're righteous, you're just, but you also struggle. That's what the tension is. But in the midst of the tension, he says, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, people who are just don't know God, they're far from God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and they might glorify God on the day he visits us the world would say, who are they? They're different. They're not hypocrites. They're not perfect, but they're in progress. They're desiring to be more like the God who saved them, not because they must, but because they reflect on the goodness of God, and it motivates them to long to be like him. This week, I was listening to this guy, and he was he was talking about his grandmother who had passed away, and, and what he said, it, it really impacted me. So I just want to tell you the story a little bit. He was talking about this, his grandmother, and he, and he said, I, I don't know anyone that I've ever met in my life that loved Jesus any more than this woman. He said, I mean, she was just so passionate about Jesus, he said there'd be times where, you know, she would meet with God in the morning, kind of at the end of her bed, and he said there'd be times when I could just hear her crying out to God for our family. I mean, just this godly woman. 
He said if you were around her during the day, she was talking about Jesus. I mean, she was enthralled with who Jesus is. She just loved him. And so she's, you know, aging and coming closer to the end of her life. And, and she said to him, she said, I wonder if God is actually just keeping me alive so that I'll be alive when he returns. So that I'll be able to, to see him even when, he, even when he returns. And so that's kind of the mindset that she lived with is that, God, you could return it at any moment. You know, everything we read in Scripture. But he said this, the most impactful thing that his grandmother ever said to him was this. He said that they were at this theater together watching a play and the whole family was there. It was a big deal. And he said he looked over at his grandmother during halftime, during the intermission, and he said to her, he said, he said, Grandma, what do you think so far? And he knew that she was a godly woman and, and so he was thinking, okay, it's clean, it's fine, it's fun, it's good humor, all that. And then she said to him, she goes, well, and she said to him, I just don't want to be here. And he was kind of heartbroken by it because it was a big deal that they were all together. And he said, Grandma, why? I mean, it's clean. There's nothing wrong with it. And what's, the, what's the problem? Why don't you want to be here? And she said, no, no, no. It's, and there's no problem against the, the play or the plays are fine, blah, blah, blah. And she said this. She said, I just don't know if I want to be here if Jesus returns. And he looked at his grandma and he said, man, you take the Bible so seriously. And what got me, I listened to that story and I just, it just nailed my heart. Was this, is, do I live with the desire, God, if you return now, later, will I be pleased with the life that I'm living? Does it honor you? I mean, am I doing things that God, you would look at and you would say, yes, I'm proud of you, good and faithful. <laughs> His grandma then said to him, she just said, you know, again, nothing wrong with the place. She said, I just wonder if maybe I shouldn't be helping someone or praying for someone. He said, I, I didn't even listen to the rest of the play. He said, I prayed through the whole rest of the thing. I didn't know if Jesus was going to appear or what, you know. <laughs> but it just nailed me. God, in public, outside of the cup, am I pleasing you? It's an okay question. Inside of the cup, though, more importantly, God, does my life reflect the things that you're about. And God, do I have the courage to obey the nudges of God that when I know that I step out of the convictions that I get from your word and from your spirit speaking to me, do I have the courage to step forward and say, I was wrong. God, I repent. God, I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to be a poser. Do I have the courage to say, God, renew me and make me like you? Church, if we'll do that, you know what will happen? The unbelieving world, when we live for the city, the city will say, Brooksiders, there's something different about them. They're not perfect. But boy, they sure are intentionally in progress to be like the one that they know loves them. So let's pray this morning. Let's say, God, would you make that true of us? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this response, this picture that you give us in Luke 18. And Lord, we just want to say to you this morning, we don't want to be actors. And God, I pray that you would help people get over the hurdles of the blunders that they've seen followers of Christ make. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, help me not to be a hypocrite. But God, help me to be an example. And then God, when we 
aren't examples, when we do walk in hypocrisy, Lord, might it take us to only you? And God, might we run to you with such a passion? Might we be so enthralled with you, God, that we long for you to come and we're proud of it when you do? So Lord, we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.